You're listening to a podcast by Abide Church and Pastor Dan DeBell in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We pray this podcast helps you live, love, and look more like Jesus this week. Enjoy the message. Hey, before I get into my message, really quick, I want to give you an update. As many of you know, we have been in a giving campaign called God's House, Our Home, and we are looking and pursuing God's next step for our church in the physical, in the sense of we're looking for a space to call our own. And so we've been calling this, uh, this giving campaign God's House, Our Home, because we acknowledge it's His house, but we're looking for a home of our own, a more permanent space, something maybe we could purchase or maybe we could lease and remodel. And so in this, we have set a, a faith-filled goal that by the end of 2023, that we would get 100 thousand dollars in our house fund. Now, the beginning of September, I want to remind you, we started with $67,000 at the beginning of September. So we had a great jump on where we're going, but we knew in order to get to $100,000, it's going to take some faith. It's going to take a little bit of stretch, but we believe that when we get to this $100,000 mark, that's going to give us some great momentum going into the new year and to get into 2024 and to continue to walk in obedience to God and just say, Lord, what's our, what's the next step you need us to take? We know this is the first step or one of the first steps, but Lord, what do you have next for us? So I want to give you an update on where we're at, how much we've seen come in since the beginning of September. So let's, why don't we have a little bit of fun with it? If you will, give me a little drum roll, please, right there at your seat. Our new total is, go ahead and throw it up there, $84,214. Come on, somebody. That's amazing that just since the beginning of September, we have seen that much come in. And so we are getting to the point where it's like, you can see the, the goal. It's, I mean, we're right there. And so I want to say thank you. Thank you to so many of you that have set up a reoccurring gift that's helped us kind of map out where we're going to be and how much is coming in. For all of those that have given a one-time gift and said, Lord, I'm going to give above and beyond my tithe and offering. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Like I said, this is a first step of, of probably many steps that we're taking in the future of our church, but I want you to know that it's a big deal that you're investing in the future of Abide because I don't know if you know this, but it does take finances to make this happen every single, every single week. It does take a little bit of finances. And so as we walk this out, I'm believing that God's gonna continue to show himself faithful. And so as always, if you want to give or maybe you haven't given before, but you're, you're like, I don't know how, there's a few different ways on the screen, but in the seat back in front of you, there's a giving envelope. On there, it has all the different ways that are up on the screen. So if you want to give digitally, you can still grab an envelope and, uh, and do that. Let me pray over our giving, and then we're going to hop into the message. Lord, we love you. Lord, I thank you for faithful people that you've brought together, this church family that you've brought together that are committed to the future of this church body. And so, Lord, I thank you that as we walk in obedience to you, as we are uh, committed to taking care of the bride of Christ, Lord, I thank you that it does not go unnoticed. I thank you, Lord, that as we take a a step of faith here to go and to raise $100,000, Lord, I thank you that you see it. And I thank you, Lord, that as we get to it and beyond, I pray that you would give us a clear next step as we go. And Lord, we're just so excited to be a part of what you're doing in our church. And Lord, I just pray that you would continue to pour out your blessing and your favor on us during this season. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen, amen. Hey, today, um, the title for today's message is The River of Obedience, The River of Obedience. And so if you have your note-taking card, go ahead and get that ready. I'm going to dive into this pretty quick. If you brought your Bible, you can also turn to 2 Kings chapter 5. We're going to read the story of a man named Naaman, a man named Naaman. And in this story, it's an Old Testament story, but I want us to remember and to think back to when we look at Old Testament, there's a lot of things that we can pull from the Old Testament in the sense of there are principles of how God works 
And these principles stand the test of time. And if we will look at these principles, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal these principles to us, we can apply them to our lives. And when we do that, our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so if I understand how God works, understand the principles of his kingdom, he can, I can open the door for him to move more fully in my life. And that's my prayer for today. The river of, of obedience, um, it, it leads to healing. It leads to freedom. It leads to a new identity. And whenever you need a miracle in your life, maybe you showed up today and you need a miracle. Maybe you need God to move. Maybe you just need some help or some direction. Maybe you need breakthrough in your life. This message is for you because I'm going to show you some things in God's word that we can do to prepare for God to work in our lives. And so if you're taking uh, notes, point number one is this. You need to listen for the voice of obedience. Listen for the voice of obedience. Many times we've got to humble ourselves to hear from someone that, we, that loves us enough to say, hey, have you thought about this? Hey, have you done this? Hey, do you remember what God's word said? There's gonna be someone that God brings into our life that reminds us of his word. Hopefully you've surrounded yourself with people that will remind you of his word. But let's dive into our story and I'll show you what I mean. Second Kings 5, starting in verse one. It says, the king of Aram had a great admiration for Naaman, the commander of his army, because through him, the Lord had given Aram great victories. But though Naaman was a mighty warrior, he suffered from leprosy. At this time, the Armenian raiders had invaded the land of Israel, and among their captives was a young girl who had been given to Naaman's wife as a maid. One day, the girl said to her mistress, I wish my master would go to see the prophet in Samaria. He would heal him of his leprosy. Let me stop there for a second. The first thing we need to acknowledge is this. It says that Naaman was a mighty warrior or a mighty man. That's something to note. But it also says that he had a problem. He was a mighty warrior, but he suffered from leprosy. It was an awful disease that would eat away at your flesh and eventually was a horrible, long, excruciating death. Leprosy was a death sentence. And so here's Naaman. He is a mighty warrior. He is honored everywhere that he goes. Everyone knows his name. Yet he is suffering from something that will hold him back and and eventually it will kill him and cut his life short. So he has a problem. He has an excuse. He has a setback. And I would say this though, this is something that we see a theme like this in scripture. This seems to be the common theme with many of the heroes of the faith. God had called them for something. God was going to move in their life, but they had this going on. In fact, let me just, I'm going to read a a few examples of some of the heroes of the faith, and uh, you'll see what I mean. Uh, Moses stuttered. Jacob was a liar. David had an affair. Solomon was too rich. Isaac was too old. David was too young. Peter was too fearful. Naomi was a widow. Paul was a murderer. Jonah was a prodigal. Miriam was a gossip. Thomas was a doubter. Elijah was burned out. John the Baptist was a loudmouth. Martha was a worry wart. Noah got drunk. And Lazarus was dead. Everybody's got something, right? Yet God moved in all of their lives. Yet God moved in all their lives. And so the question is what's your thing? What's, what's your excuse? What's my excuse? What's the thing that I feel like God's anointed me or called me to do something, but. I have this, but I just can't speak well in front of people, but I just, I made that mistake in the past, but I, uh, I have an issue with lying. I have an issue with gossip, but I'm just a loud mouth. I can't control my tongue, but I'm just always worrying about what's next, but I can't get control of alcohol and I'm a drunk. There's, there's so many examples in here, yet God 
moved in their lives. So many times we excuse me, say, well, God can never use me because of fill in the blank. But when you read your Bible, you understand God is greater than your mistake, than your excuse, than the thing that you think would hold you back from his greatness on your life. He's greater than those things. If we will humble ourselves and allow him to work. Now, this young girl that's in the story, the young girl, she was an unwilling missionary since she was taken captive, right? Many times we send people out into the mission field. Well, they're, they're willing to go and to face the dangers. She was an unwilling missionary. She was um, taken captive as a very young girl, yet she was still willing to be used by God. She was still willing. And God hates to see his children in tragedy, but nothing is outside the reach of God's hands to use for his glory. No situation is too far. No situation is too devastating. No situation is too far out the reach for God to say, I can still use that for my glory. And this is where we see this young girl who is a a no name, basically a slave girl. And what happens is she says, I know how to help my master. I know how to help. And so I think we also see the importance of raising our kids according to God's word. We also see the importance of raising our kids in a kids' ministry that teaches God's word at the church, right? Not just to babysit when our kids come here, but to actually equip them with the word of God so they have a foundation for life. Think about it. If she had not been raised in the knowledge of the true living God, she could not have been used as an instrument for God's glory. She would have had nothing to say to her master besides, good luck. Yeah, it's going to be painful. It's going to be rough. I have nothing for you. But what? She had a foundation. Her parents, even at the youngest age in their culture, had raised her to know and to understand the principles of the living God. And that our true God, the living God, he is a healer and he works through his people. And so she had a foundation, even at a young age, to say, I know what to do. And so when God needed to move, what did he have? He had a vessel to use. Because she was equipped, he had a vessel to use. In Psalm 96, verse 2, it says this. It says, sing to the Lord, praise his name. Each day, proclaim the good news that he saves. Publish his glorious deeds among the nations. Tell everyone about the amazing things he does. Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. What does it say? Each day, every day, proclaim the good news. Every day, publish his glorious deeds. Let people know. Tell everyone. So she understood, even as a child, the faith of a child to say, you know what? I have an answer for this person. I have an answer for someone in my life. And so here's what she did. She had two things that she did. She cared enough to speak up and she had the faith enough to believe that her God would back it and heal. So she had the courage. She cared enough to speak up and she had the faith enough to believe that her God would heal. And this is my heart for our church is you have to ask the question, who do I know that's close with me but far from God? Who in my life has God brought into my sphere of influence, a coworker, a customer, a neighbor, who is close with me but they're far from God? And then, do I care enough to speak up? And do I have the faith enough to believe that if they follow what I say and I point them to Jesus, that God will rock their world? This young girl had that faith. She understood. I'm going to say something. And what did she say? She said it with confidence. He would heal him of leprosy. He might. Hopefully he heals. He would 
heal him of leprosy. She makes a statement. My God, through the prophet, will what? Heal. He will move. And so my heart is I would pray that we may know people, hopefully you do, who do you know, that you need to have the courage enough and to care enough to speak up and say, hey, would you come to church? Hey, would you come sit with me at church? Hey, would you come to our church's Christmas service? And just open the door and watch what God would do in their life if we care enough to speak up but have the faith enough to believe that God will move. And so depending on the season, what we see in the beginning of this story, depending on the season, I need to be ready to speak up and be the voice of obedience for someone or I need to be the one that is ready to listen to the voice of obedience from someone. If you're far from God or if you're doing something that you know you shouldn't be doing, you need to be ready to listen and receive the voice of obedience. Someone saying, hey, that's not what God has for you. You shouldn't be doing that. Or you may be in a place where you're thriving and you're growing and you're producing spiritual fruit and God's gonna say, hey, I need you to speak up the truth and love to this person and watch how I'll back up my word. We might be in one of those two seasons. Point number two is this, dismiss your expectations. This is one of the biggest things we can take from this story. Dismiss your expectations. That word dismiss, it simply means to order to leave, to send away, or to deliberately cease to think about. And that's my favorite part of the, the definition of dismiss. Deliberately cease to think about. Let's continue in our story. 2 Kings 5, verse 4. So Naaman told the king what the young girl from Israel had, had said. Go and visit the prophet the king of Aram told them. So let's skip down now. We're going to skip down to verse 9. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots, and he waited at the door of Elisha's house. But Elisha sent a messenger out to him with a message. Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored, and you will be healed of your leprosy. Verse 11. But Naaman became angry, and he stalked away. Remember these phrases. I thought... He would certainly come out to meet me, he said. I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call on the name of the Lord, his God, and heal me. Aren't the rivers of Damascus better than any of the rivers of Israel? Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned and he went away in a rage. Let's stop here for a second. This is where we become very relatable to Naaman. God ministered through Elisha to Naaman, exactly how Naaman needed to be ministered to. God ministered to Naaman exactly how he needed to be ministered to. Why? God knew that Naaman had pride. So what does Elisha do? In agreement and in obedience to God, he doesn't give him face time with the, with the prophet. Elisha says, no, here's the word. Here's sending to my servant. I'm going to send my servant out there to tell Naaman, here's what you need to do. Naaman was used to being honored. Well, he is a great warrior. He is a well-known warrior. He is a mighty warrior. Everywhere Naaman went, he was known. And so when he walked in a room, people noticed. When he walked into the room, people were honor, would honor him. People would bow to him. People knew this is a bad dude. This guy does some amazing things. This guy is famous. He was a celebrity. And so for the prophet to not even come out and have a conversation with him was a slap in the face. But little did Naaman know that's exactly what he needed. He needed humility in his life because what do we see? Naaman had it all figured out. In his great need, he is in a, a desperately in need of a miracle. In his great need, he anticipated a way that God would work. He anticipated, this is how God's gonna work. This is what God's gonna do in my life. 
I'm, 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 I'm going to be on my deathbed soon. This is how. I'm anticipating exactly how God is going to work. And he was offended when God didn't work the way he expected. What does he say? He says, I thought. Well, I thought this was going to happen. I expected him to wave his hand and the leprosy would disappear. I thought, I thought, I thought. I expected, I expected, I expected. And we often look at Naaman and we say, what is your problem, dude? <laughs> Go and wash in the river. If it, can, if, if it can work, just do it and see, right? But is this not what we do all the time? Do we not do the same? God, I prayed. I said amen and nothing happened. I thought you would answer that prayer by now. I expected you to meet that need. And so we do the exact same thing. I thought, I expected. Many times we don't verbalize it. Maybe in our quiet time with God alone we do, but we don't verbalize it to other people. But we criticize Naaman, but he's us. I thought God would send me $10,000 for a new vehicle that we need. <laughs> I thought, I expected God to heal me after year four or year five of believing for healing. I thought and I expected and we fall into the same trap of pride that says, I know what God should do. I know when God should move. And this is what Naaman did, and he became, he became offended. And so when expectation is not met, people leave in offense. They get mad at God, and they usually walk away from the church. When I thought God would move and he didn't, how I wanted him to, or when I wanted him to, I'm mad at God. I'm mad at the church. Must not be real. I'm out. I expected God and he didn't do it. I'm mad, I'm offended. Why didn't God show up? Why didn't he move? And so what we've done is we've created a vending machine type of God in our modern society. What do, you, what do I do with a vending machine? I go to the vending machine, I put a dollar in and I want a candy bar immediately, right? So when I put this dollar in, if I enter the code and my Reese's peanut butter cups don't drop immediately, what's gonna happen? I'm gonna be mad. I don't know about you guys, I'm gonna be upset. I want my, some chocolate and peanut butter. I want the Reese's. And so I get mad at the machine. And so I start shaking the machine. Well, let me try, I'm gonna try something else. I'll try Snickers then. I put my dollar in, hit the number, and the Snickers doesn't drop. What's gonna happen? I'm gonna walk away. Will I ever come back to that machine? I'm not. I don't know about you, but I'm not gonna waste more money on a machine that's not giving me what I want right now. What else am I gonna do? When I'm walking away, if I see someone else walking towards that machine, what am I gonna say? Don't waste your time. Don't put your money in there. It doesn't deliver what it says it's gonna deliver. And you see how this mentality is so wicked because we've made God a vending machine. God, I said the right prayer. It should get answered right now. Does it mean because I said the right prayer and it didn't happen right away that it's not God's will? That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying we've got to remind ourselves we are not God. We don't have all knowledge. My timing is not perfect. It's not. I am prone. We are, humans, are prone to be selfish. I want it now, especially in America. We're pretty spoiled. I want it now, and I want it my way. And I, I want you to deliver, God, how I expected you to deliver. But hear me in this. Just because there's a d delay does not mean that it's not God's will. Delays are not denials. Somebody needs to hear that today. Delays are not denials. They're not. We're not God. 
We don't have all knowledge. Our timing is not perfect. But here is the good news of the gospel. This is it. We serve the living God. We are invited into his family as sons and daughters. And now we know and we have access and closeness to the one who is the living God, the one who has all knowledge, the one whose timing is perfect. We have closeness with him. And it keeps us humble down here. I shared this verse uh, last week, but let me share it again. Isaiah 55, verse eight. It says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. My ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts higher than your thoughts. Verse 11, it says this. It is the, it is the same with my word. I send it out and it always produces fruit. Somebody say always. Always produces fruit. It will accomplish all. Everybody say all. All I want it to. And it will prosper everywhere. Everybody say everywhere. Everywhere. Everywhere, it will prosper everywhere I send it. Do we understand the importance of being devoted to this? Do you understand why we give you note-taking cards? Do we understand every week why we say, Lord, your word, not our opinion. Lord, why? Because God's word always produces fruit. It goes and it prospers where he sends it. And when we align ourselves with his word and we speak it and we believe it and we obey it, we're opening the door for the miraculous to take place. So here's what we must do. Dismiss your expectations. Meaning, deliberately cease to think about how God is going to answer your prayer. How, stop thinking about how God is going to move in your life. Simply get back to the simple obedience of humbly, humbly walking in prayer and worship, walk in obedience to his word and have faith in his faithfulness, not having faith in the outcome of your prayer. We've got to make a decision that I'm going to have faith in the character of God who he is in God. My faith is not in the outcome of my prayer. Well, if God pleases me, I'll have more faith. No, my faith is in who he is. He is the living God. He's the alpha and the omega. He is, he is greater than anyone. He is the healer. He is the provider. My God is the true God. That's where my faith is. My faith is not in if he does what I want him to do. So what do I have to do? Don't be consumed with how God's gonna answer your prayer. Be consumed with God. We've gotta stop being consumed with how is God gonna do it? I need to start being consumed with God himself. Why? Because I love him. Not because I want more from him. I love him because he first loved me. And if he does nothing more for me but salvation, I am totally in debt to him. He doesn't have to. He's given me everything I need through salvation. Now, does he want to answer and give you the desires of your heart and meet your need and bring healing? Absolutely, he does. But when we get focused on the lesser things, we get distracted on God. How are you going to do it? And he's saying, would you just spend time with me? Just for me? Just be with me? Not always vending machine? <laughs> Lord, yeah, I'm going to spend some time in, in God's word today so that he can give me that pay raise at the end of the year. I'm going to spend time in God's word because I love him. I honor him, I glorify him, and I love his word, and I just want to spend time with him. If we will do that, we will see the goodness of the Lord. Number three is this. Unquestioning obedience leads to the miraculous. Unquestioning obedience leads to the miraculous. Unquestioning simply means to accept without doubt. I'm going to receive it without any doubt in my mind. Second Kings 5, we're going to skip to verse 13. It says, but his officers tried to reason with him, and they said, sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? 
So you should certainly obey him when he simply says, go and wash and be cured. So Naaman went down to the Jordan River and he dipped himself seven times as the man of God had instructed him. And his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child and he was healed. He was healed. Thank God for faithful subordinates who will speak to their superiors the truth and love. Without Naaman's faithful subordinates who obviously loved him, because if they hated him, they would have wanted him to die. They obviously loved him and they said, hey, your approach is brilliant. If he asked you to kill a thousand animals as a sacrifice to the living God, wouldn't you have done it? Like we would have been lining up animals right now. But because he says dip in a dirty river, you say, no thanks. What happened here? Because the command was easy and because the command was humbling, Naaman refused. Too much pride. And this is what, what we do. Oftentimes we read God's word and we, we come to church and we just think it can't be that simple. It can't be that simple. Or we say, that doesn't make any sense. Isn't this what Naaman did? Seven times, dip seven times. Doesn't make sense to dip in a dirty river. I know some great rivers over here I would rather take a bath in. Doesn't make sense. But we read God's word and we say, no, it can't be. And I'm telling you, God knows us as humans because he created us as humans with simple minds. The gospel is that simple. The gospel is that powerful. The gospel is that true. And though it may not make sense to walk in obedience to God's word sometimes, I promise you that at the end of it, it brings healing and it brings restoration and it brings salvation. And so for us, what does this look like? Sometimes God's commands for us isn't go and wash in a dirty river. Uh, don't go to the Arkansas and wash. That's many times not what we have to do to get healing. But many times it's not go and wash, but it is go and forgive. Go and forgive that person that you've been hanging on to for years and years and years. Sometimes it's not go and wash, but it's go and pray. Lord, I've prayed. I've prayed five times. I've prayed for years. Go and pray again. You have the faith to go again. Sometimes it's not go and wash, but it's go and repent. Ah, oh, yeah, you know, I'm still kind of doing that thing, but what's the big deal? No, he's saying change your ways, change your mind, change your ways. Sometimes it's not go and wash, but it's go and trust. God, we've been believing for a long time, but you haven't shown up. And he said, go and trust me again. Trust me again with today. Trust me again with tomorrow. And I have to say yes. Sometimes it's not go and wash, but sometimes it's go and enjoy the life he's given you. Meaning this, sometimes I think we fill our schedule so, with so much busyness because we're trying to avoid things in our life. And sometimes God is saying, look, you're praying for a great relationship with your kids, or you're praying for a great relationship with that, that, that spouse, but you're so busy, you're never investing in them because you've committed to too many things. And God's saying, go and enjoy the life I've given you. Enjoy the spouse I've given you. Enjoy the kids I've given you. And say no to the dumb things that you shouldn't be filling your schedule with. Say no to some of those things. Invest in your family and watch what God will do. But each dunk in the, in the river, Naaman was acting in faith. He was acting in faith. Because I would say this, did, did he see the healing after the first dunk? Like, did he go under and come back and see a little bit of healing? There's some back and forth on this, but I would say probably not. I would venture to say probably not. Here's why. In my experience and what I've seen and how God works, we don't always see moments of breakthrough before the dam finally breaks. Many times, usually, God wants to see the perseverance and the, pers the persistence of our faith, then the breakthrough comes. Why seven? Why do I have to walk around the city seven times? Why do I gotta dunk seven times? Why do I have to do this this many times? Sometimes God wants to see. 
I'll say it this way. If you were God, or maybe some of the parents, you can relate to this. If you want to teach someone patience, do you give them everything right away? Or do you make them wait a little bit? If you want to teach someone strength, do you make life easy? Or do you put some weight on their shoulders? If you want to teach someone love, do you surround them with lovable people? Or do you surround them with people that annoy them to the end of the age and you say, choose love today? Mm, That one rings home, huh? Unquestioning obedience invites the miracles of God into our lives. When the miracle comes, and here's the great news, when I do my part, I open the door for God to do his part. And when the miracle comes, it comes in full and it comes better than expected. It comes in full and it comes in better than expected. And it says, Naaman's skin became that as of a young child. He's a mighty warrior. Guaranteed he had scars on his, on his, on his body. We don't see this in scripture, but I would, I would venture to say with pretty, a pretty good amount of confidence that I guarantee those scars were gone when he came out the seventh time. His skin was that of a young child. I bet he had pain and aches in his body in different places from being a a warrior. But when he came out, I bet his body was pure. Why? That's how God works. He always goes above what we ask or think. And that's what scripture says, Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who was able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all, we can ask or think according to the power that works in us. Why? Here's the one. we, We often quote this verse, but we don't quote verse 21. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Why? So he gets glory. That's why. That's the goal. That's the goal. Why do I need healing? Because I'm going to show everyone how good my God is. And that's the last point. Let your testimony give God glory. That's point number four. Let your testimony give God glory. When God works in our life, we can't afford to say, man, that was great. God's so good. But I don't want to offend anyone by showing how good my God is that this book really is legit and it's alive and it's active today as it ever has been. We can't afford to keep it to ourselves. Think about this. If Elisha would have done things the way Naaman expected, Elisha would have gotten the glory. Naaman showed up, and read this story this week. He showed up with gold, millions of dollars of today's wealth, worth of gifts for Elisha, bribing him, saying, take this stuff. At the end of it, Elisha says, no, thanks. But he showed up prepared to say, Elisha, you are the man of God. You are the greatest. And Elisha made it clear, I am a vessel for the living God. I am not God. But the simple, the humbling commands followed by obedience, it led to inexplainable healing and restoration. And the living God gets the glory. 2 Kings 5 verse 15 says, Then Naaman and his entire party, they went back to find the man of God. They stood before him and Naaman said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Now I know that there's a living God. Now I know that there's no other God. Now I know the truth. And guess what? Now Naaman's life and the ripple of his testimony changes generations, changes family trees. Why? Because he was willing and he had the right people around him. He was willing to say, I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to do whatever God asked me to do, even if it doesn't make sense, even if it's super simple and it can't be that easy. I'm going to still do it. And I'm going to watch how God will pour out his goodness on my life, even when I don't deserve it. Who was Naaman? Yeah, he was a mighty warrior. But I guarantee he would tell you, I don't deserve the goodness of this God. But our God always goes above and beyond.
And so let your story of healing, of salvation, of breakthrough, let it bring revelation of the living God. And I'm gonna tell you this, there's people in your life right now who are waiting for you to get into the river of obedience. They're waiting for you to follow what God's asked you to do, prompted you to do. Stop doing, start doing, whatever it might be, they're waiting for you. They don't even know it yet. They couldn't verbalize it, but they're waiting for you. And as you go into the river, and as you dunk seven times, and as you do whatever he's asked you to do and pray and trust again and repent and whatever it might be, when, when you do that and your life is changed, the ripple effect of your testimony will rock everyone around you. It will change the people that God's brought in your life. I'm gonna show you what I mean. I'm gonna invite my friend Dan Walters to come on up. We're gonna do something a little different as we end today. I'm gonna invite Dan to share his testimony and part of his story with us today. And as he reads his story today, I'm gonna ask you just to give him your attention for a few minutes, but listen for the principles that we just talked about in God's word. I'm gonna turn it over to you. So before I get started, um, early this week when Pastor Dan asked me to do this, and I agreed, it's, I mean, the devil's been attacking me left and right this week. And I decided I was not going to let that stop me from sharing. So, for those of you that don't know me, my name's Dan Walters. My family and I have been attending Abide Church since March of last year. Although mom and dad, before he went home, have been attending much longer. Last March, I rededicated my life to Christ. And last April, I was baptized again. However... That's not where this story gets good. You see, I was raised in a Christian home. I got saved and baptized as a kid. I went to church all my life. I didn't grow up with parents who drank alcohol, abused drugs, smoked, or did anything like that. Safe to say, I had a good life growing up. In high school, I got introduced to cigarettes and dipping tobacco. I started dipping off and on when I was about 17. From the time I was 18, I was doing it all the time. I was also introduced to alcohol in high school. At first, I only drank occasionally. It wasn't a big deal. I knew it was wrong, but come on, I wasn't an alcoholic. As the years went on, I continued to drink and use tobacco, still knowing it was wrong. I knew it was wrong because I had to lie to my parents and other adults. I had to hide it. I never considered myself an alcoholic, even though deep down, I knew I had a problem with it. I wasn't drinking all the time, but when I did, I couldn't stop drinking until it was all gone or until I was almost passed out. I guess I learned to control it over the years, but when I say control it, let's face it, alcohol was in control of me. I was just controlling how well I hid my problem or how people saw me. 
as I got older. I found more excuses to drink. I had a bad day, so I was going to drink that night. I had a good day. I was going to drink that night. I was tired, sad, happy, was in a good mood. It was a hot day outside. It was cold. Really didn't matter. I was going to drink that night. As we started having kids, and as they started getting old enough to understand, I knew that I didn't want them to see their dad as a drunk. Those thoughts and feelings just went away as the addiction took more and more control over me. For over 20 years, I drank and used tobacco nearly every day of my life. I tried several times over the years to quit dipping. I did have one semi-successful run after granddad died for about a year but I fell right back into it. I never tried to quit drinking though. I never wanted to. I enjoyed it. I still didn't think I had a problem with it though. Well, I wouldn't admit to myself that I did. I was ashamed to admit it. I felt that it would make me look weak or not in control, which as a police officer, those are two traits I couldn't afford to feel or be perceived as. It's ironic, working in a profession that practically promotes alcoholism and jokes about it just being a part of the job just may have played a part in what helped save me. As I said last March, I rededicated my life to Christ. Went home that night and I prayed and asked God to help me quit dipping. I woke up the next day, I didn't have the desire for it anymore. Man, I was on fire for Christ. I was reading the Bible every day. I was praying. I was excited. My whole family and I even signed up to volunteer at church and join the A-team. Things were great. All except one. I was still drinking. All the time. I was embarrassed because 
I would serve Sunday morning. I would go home and I would drink Sunday night. What was wrong with me? Why was I doing this? A few months later, one of the guys I work with, one of my best friends, asked me to go to Mighty Oaks. Mighty Oaks is a faith-based, peer-to-peer resiliency and recovery program for military and first responders. I agreed to go. I was even excited to go right up until the day before I left. I was looking for reasons to not go, but I got on the plane and I went. And man, I'm glad I did. God worked in me in a big way that week. That week was for sobriety for me. It was the first week in a long time that I hadn't drank. But more importantly, that was the week I had to admit I was an alcoholic and I had to change. I had to quit drinking, but not just for me for my family I prayed and I asked God for help because I knew this was going to be hard I came home and I decided to let my actions speak I didn't want to make a big announcement I didn't want to do the hey look at me thing it's just not who I am But after a while, I realized I had to do more than just quit drinking. I had to make amends. I had to apologize to my family. And I had to ask their forgiveness for choosing alcohol over them. I had to tell them I was sorry for making alcohol more important in my life than I made them. Let me tell you, that was so much harder than it was to quit drinking. But I wasn't done there, though. I had to apologize to Pastor Dan and to Abide Church for breaking my promise as a volunteer that I would not drink in excess. You know that promise that a lot of us signed when we joined the A-team? Yeah. That was the second hardest thing I had to do. But I'm happy to stand here today and tell you all that I'm 462 days sober and counting. Through simple obedience to God, we allow him to work huge miracles in our lives. And I'm changed and better man for that. Thank you.
One of the amazing parts of that story, and I'm so glad he shared, is that, as I said, there's people in our lives that are waiting for us to get into the river. And your testimony brings God glory and it creates this ripple effect. His daughters are serving in our kids' ministry today, right now, loving on our kids because of his decision to humble himself, walk in obedience, and watch God do the miraculous in his life. Never underestimate the power of simple obedience. Whatever God's asking you to do, dunk again, pray again, worship again, repent again, make a change, serve your spouse again, forgive them again. Let us be a church that is humble in spirit and quick to obey the simple commands of scripture. And I promise you, it's just a matter of time before we experience the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Our lives will be changed, but generational trees will be changed forever. Let's walk in obedience. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit. Thank you for moving in our lives. I pray right now for anyone in this room, anyone watching this at a later date, Lord, today, let today be the day of salvation, as your word says. I pray that today, if they need to make a change, if they need to come clean, if they need to take a step in faith, Lord, I pray that through the power of the helper, the Holy Spirit, you would walk with them. Give them the boldness to take a step today. And Lord, I I pray, as your word says, when we draw close to you, you draw close to us. Would you surround them with your love, with your peace, with your presence, and would you give them the strength to continue on in obedience until your perfect timing. And when when the, the breakthrough comes, the healing comes, Lord, I thank you for it. In everything, Lord, as we see you continue to work in our church and in our lives personally, in our families, our marriages, we will be quick to give you all the glory. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Abide Church podcast. If you'd like to partner with us financially, or if you're in the Tulsa area and would like to attend our weekly gathering, you can check out AbideChurch.com.